Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello there. I'd like to conclude our series of talks on the kingdom of God. And today I'm talking about the upside down kingdom, how the rules of the kingdom are different from the rules we've learnt as human beings growing up. Have you ever been involved in a game for the first time and you were trying to work out what the rules are and you didn't get it right? In this part of the world, we play cricket and people who don't know about cricket find it extremely difficult to understand. They say, what's going on? Why does it take so long? And, and the names we use. Recently in the UK, they instituted a new type of cricket, which is a shorter version. It's a little bit more like baseball called the 100. And they tried to change the terminology to make non-cricket players understand what was going on. So instead of calling a set of six balls an over, they started, they shortened it to five balls and they called it a set of five or a block of five. But I was laughing because they were still using terms like send it to fine leg and silly mid-off and all these strange cricket terms that people couldn't understand. And I realized if we don't understand the rules and the structure of a game, we can be very confused. Early on in my career, I worked in an office where our computers were networked. And at lunchtime, when we had free time, my boss would start a card game between four of us in the office called hearts and the rules of hearts are different from most card games. In most card games, you have to try and win the cards. When someone puts down a five of clubs, you try and put down a six or a seven or an eight to try and win that set of, of cards. But in hearts, you have to lose the hearts. You have to give them away. And the more hearts you win, the worse you're doing in the game. And my boss used to sit there in his office laughing at us, the other three of us, because we couldn't get our heads around this different way of playing cards where you have to give away your cards. And Jesus came with new rules for life. He said, you've heard it said this, but I say this. In Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed or happy or fortunate are. And then he listed people who the world would say are not fortunate. His kingdom is an upside down kingdom. There's a lovely passage in Matthew 18. It says in verse one, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were saying, what are the rules, Jesus? What are the rules? And, and you might say to me, what do you mean by rules? Are you saying what you can and can't do? No, what I'm saying is the way to live to succeed because what you can and can't do is part of the game. You get penalized if you do the wrong thing, but it's more than that. It's understanding how do I live or go about doing this thing in a way to get the right results, consequences. How do I succeed? And as normal human beings, worldly people, we grow up in our lives trying to figure out how do I succeed? And part of that is knowing what will I get penalized for? In other words, what will people or the laws of the land punish me for? But also, what do I do to succeed? And so we learn to manipulate, to bend the rules, to, to do things in such a way to get the right result. 
And when we become believers, those rules change because the results are not just limited to this earth and what we can see and taste and touch, but it's eternal things and a much bigger scale and an eternal time, time scale. So the, the rules of how to succeed change, but also we change our mindsets from saying, what works for me? What do I have to do to get the right results? We change from consequences or results to principles. We say, what is right? What is good? What is fair? What does God think? What pleases him? Whether the results on this earth are the same or not, whether we get good results or not. And so often Jesus would warn his followers and say, you will be persecuted. They will come after you just as they came after me because you're not of this world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There's a greater reality. But in Matthew 18, the disciples came to Jesus, said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? How do I succeed? What are the rules of this new kingdom, Jesus? You're saying things that confuse us. Please, will you just clarify this one point? Who is the greatest? At another time, uh, James and John, the two brothers, wanted to be greatest. And they got their mum involved. And their mum went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want my two sons to have the left and the right position next to you in your kingdom. I want them to be the greatest. And Jesus gave her an answer, which I'm going to show you in a minute. But in Matthew 18, the disciples said, who is the greatest? And Jesus showed them it's an upside down kingdom. It's not what the world says, because the world says the greatest is the one with the most money or the most influence or the most pleasure. They're getting the most pleasure in their lives or the most fame or whatever it is. The world has a set of rules. You've probably gone through your life trying to work out what are those rules. How do I succeed? How do I play by the rules that will enable me to get the right results on this planet? And I encourage you, when you come into the kingdom of God, to say, Jesus, what are your rules? And the disciples said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus blew their minds. He said, you think of little children as a little bit of an annoyance, as a distraction. There was a time when the children were trying to come to Jesus and people were pushing them away, saying, no, no, this is important adult time. And Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And here he says that the people who are childlike, who, who become like children again, are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what is involved in converting and becoming like little children? He, notice he says, convert and become like little children. In other words, every single adult human being has to go through a process of conversion, of repentance, of changing their mind, of moving their values from one system to another, of saying, I've, I've got to think of the rules differently. And what is it about a little child? Well, little children are humble. He says, whoever humbles himself, 
Children don't think of themselves as great. When they're in a room, they don't think they are the most important person usually, and they are often the least. They have the least possessions. They have the least power, influence, uh, fame. They are the least humble. He says, whoever humbles himself. So as an adult, I have to say, I am not greater than everybody else. I'm not going to promote myself and push myself above others, push others down to make myself great. But there's a couple of other things about children. If we can be childlike, not childish, but childlike, if we're going to convert and become like children, uh, children are extremely trusting. They want to learn. They, they are teachable and trusting. They, they believe what their parents and their teachers tell them. They are open to learn things. I wonder if you and I need to become more trusting. We need to convert our thinking and our values and say, Lord, I want to be trusting like a child. I don't want to be always so skeptical and so doubting and, and, and not willing to accept new things. Children will learn and they are trusting. They're also innocent, aren't they? Children are extremely innocent. They don't often have all weird machinations and, and motivations to, to do evil things or to get evil things or to get their own way. They are innocent. They may make mistakes and often they are naughty, but it's not a, a calculated planning to be naughty. It's not making a scheme to get their way in the end. It's often just a, a reaction to something. And so children are innocent. Later on in this passage, Jesus said that the things that cause children to sin will happen. They, it's inevitable, but woe to the person through whom those things come. And then he said, we need to get children back. And he told the parable of the 99 sheep and the one sheep that goes astray. And at the end of that, let me just read it to you. He says in verse 13, Assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So when he was telling the parable of the 99 sheep, he was talking about children. Remember, it starts with him having a child stand next to him. They say, who's the greatest? He says, a child, be like a child. And then he says, the things that cause these children to stray from their innocence, their purity, their humility uh, will come. Woe to the person through whom they come. But then he says, let's try and win them back. The, the lost sheep parable is about winning people who were with God as children. They strayed because we all will. All children are going to heaven. I believe this passage teaches there comes a time where they go their own way, but they have to be converted and come back to a childlike faith. And so the first thing we see is this humility and this childlikeness in the kingdom of God. Who's great? The person who trusts, who's humble, who's not promoting themselves, who is innocent. You know, Jesus said we should be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. And so there is this this um, contradiction going on in the world because we live in a world where the people around us do not serve God most of the time. And so we have to be wise as serpents. We have to be aware and know the ways of the world, but be innocent as doves. In other words, it doesn't get into us. We're in the world, but not of the world. 
The world is around us and we're familiar with it, but we don't take on its values. And so this upside down kingdom is a kingdom of childlikeness, of innocence, of trust, of dependence. Children are dependent on their parents. They're not saying, I have to work eight hours today to earn my supper. They say, I trust my mommy or my daddy to provide my food for me. And there is a dependence in the kingdom of God, a childlikeness while still being as wise as serpents and knowing what the world is like. Not being jaded and bitter and cynical about the world, just being aware of it, but saying, I have different rules. There's a different way of operating in this upside down kingdom. I mentioned to you the time when Jesus was asked by James and John's mother if her sons could have a special position of prominence. And I'm just going to read you what Jesus said in Mark 10. Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we see that it's not just childlikeness, but even in our leadership, the world's idea of leadership is force people. He says the, the rulers of this world lord it over. They force people or they manipulate people to do what they want. They say, if you don't do it, there will be this terrible threat or penalty, or they use manipulation and deceit and trickery. It's a bit like the three kings in the Old Testament. Saul was the first king of Israel, then David, and then his son Absalom became king. And those three kings are very different. Saul, it says, always had a spear in his hand. He ruled by threatening and by force and by anger and, and making people do what he wants. Absalom, it says, would take people in his hands and kiss them. He was a, a charmer and he would deceive people. But it says that David had a harp or a, a, a musical instrument in his hand and he guided by the will of the Lord. And so we see there's different ways of leading. And in the kingdom, Jesus said the, the way of this world is you rule by being stronger or by being more manipulative. But in God's economy, you rule, but you're a servant. You rule with humility. And Jesus demonstrated it by washing the disciples' feet and by being a servant. Does that mean that in the kingdom we don't have leaders? No, we have leaders, but they don't force their own way. You say to me, Greg, how does this look in real life? What is, how does this play out? I'll tell you what a humble servant leader does. They say, I am secure in myself. God loves me. I don't need to um, lobby or, or play political games to get you to vote for me or to serve me. I'm serving God and doing His ways. And as leader of this family, this business, this church, this small group, whatever, this is what I believe God wants us to do. If you do it, that's great. If you don't, I will still love you. I'm not better than you. I just have this position. But we may have some consequences. You may have to do something differently or you may need to leave the group. But I'm not withdrawing my love. I'm not manipulating you. I'm not threatening you with punishment. I love you no matter what. And I'm humble. I'm the same level as you. That is a servant leader. 
And can you see how the rules of this kingdom are different? Just another aspect of this upside down kingdom is that the king came as a baby. <laughs> and he came into a poor family. The people around him thought that his mother had conceived him out of wedlock, that he was an illegitimate child. They didn't have resources. They didn't even have a proper place for him to be born. He had to be born in a stable. Uh, they fled. They ran around most of their early life under threat of death or, or all sorts of oppressive punishments around them by the Jews and by the Romans. And then even in Jesus' life, he remained a humble person. He didn't take on positions. He didn't take on titles. Um, and he submitted himself to death on a cross. He could have called all the angels and he could have asked his followers to fight for him. But he was a king who was a humble king. Um, he took a different set of rules and a different set of guidelines to the rest of the world. And in our fight... Because the kingdom of God is a fight, but in our fight, we fight with peace. We are sometimes violent and we do fight forcefully, but it's against spiritual forces and not against flesh and blood people. So let me read you a couple of verses. John 18, verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So he said, it's not about fighting people. Ephesians 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He says, we are fighting. It is a fight, but we're fighting with different rules. It's an upside down kingdom. You see, this world says fight by the world's methods. You can use physical force. You can use economic force. You can use group force where you gather a group and you bully somebody to do your way. You can use the law to fight in the courts. Uh, you can use various ways to fight. The world's methods of fighting are many and various, and we are aware of them because we live in this world. But 2 Corinthians 10 says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not worldly, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's our, those are enemy lies. Casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's an upside down kingdom because the king is humble and we fight with spiritual weapons, with truth and with peace. So in the passage where it says we wrestle, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Verse 15 says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. One of our, one of our weapons in this fight is being able to tell people the gospel of peace. It's such a contradiction. He says you're fighting, but it's a gospel of peace. We fight by telling people you, are, you don't have to be at war with God. He has paid for you to be reconciled, a gospel of peace. We fight by telling people God loves you and has paid for you to be completely forgiven and for you to have peace in your heart and no regret, no guilt, no fear anymore. It's a gospel of peace. We fight by telling people we love you, whether you agree with us or not, I love you. But I will tell you the truth. 
It's a gospel of peace. And so you see, this upside down kingdom means we fight differently. And I must just mention one thing here, practically. In Acts chapter 1 verse 6, Jesus is just about to go back to heaven. He's He's risen again. He's spent 40 days telling the disciples various things. He's told them they're going to be filled with the Spirit. And in verse 6, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still thought it was a worldly set of rules. And Jesus was going to put a Jewish king in charge. The Romans were going to be kicked out of Israel. And actually, the Jews would rule the world. And Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. What he was saying is, in the millennium, when Jesus comes back a second time, he will rule the world. But it's him who will rule the world. It's not, a, it's not a, a human being. It's him who will rule the world. But he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Our job is to spread the gospel of peace. And in that way, we push back the devil's schemes. So we do fight. We fight against spiritual forces. We fight with ideas and truth and love and the gospel of peace. But we're not trying to do things the world's way. Now, you might say to me, does that mean Christians shouldn't get involved in politics? I would say, as long as the gospel is your first priority and loving people and getting people saved, and as long as you don't need to compromise your morals and the standards of God's word, you can get involved in politics, but it's never to be our first priority. Can I tell you an interesting fact? When the New Testament was written, all the way through the New Testament, the Romans were ruling the world. And there were some evil Roman rulers. Nero was a madman and he committed atrocities. He burned Christians on stakes. He, he took people's possessions wrongly. He ruled badly. Claudius was another one, a really bad ruler. And there were some terrible things done to the Christians during the whole time of the New Testament. Jesus's life, the book of Acts and all the, the letters thereafter, all the way through to the book of Revelation, there were some awful political things happening. There were also some major political upheavals in 70 AD. Uh, the Jewish temple was completely destroyed by the Romans. Um, it was a massive thing. The, the nation of Israel was pretty much made powerless and, and identityless because they destroyed the temple. These were major, major political things. And I think of today where we have Christians saying their main priority is to fight politics or to make the rules the way they want them to be or to change the laws of the land. And I think if we were living in New Testament times, we would have thought we must campaign to get rid of the Romans or we must campaign to get their, their laws changed or we must have a huge outcry and a petition because they've destroyed the temple in 70 AD. And yet not once in Jesus's words, in Jesus's life, not once in the book of Acts, not once in any of the letters or any of the rest of the Bible, not once does it mention anything political about trying to change the laws. It admits we live under a, an oppressive regime, but he says, obey, obey your rulers, serve them, be a witness to them by your humility, by your peace, by your love. Why is that? Because we have a different set of rules to the world, friends. 
we have a different set of rules. We're thinking about eternal things. We're thinking about the kingdom to come. So what will we do? This is the conclusion of our series on the kingdom of God. We will live in a humble, serving way. We will serve our king. We will have communities of love called churches, which are as close to heaven as we can make them with praise and worship from every nation, tribe and tongue. We will extend the kingdom by preaching the gospel, by praying and by planting and helping to strengthen churches all around the world. And we will serve our king and realize that even though in this world it might look, it might look like we're losing. Let me read you what Jesus said in Matthew 5. It might look like you're losing, my friend. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, we live in a different setup with a different set of rules and we have a different perspective. We see the big picture. Christian, have you been trying to live according to the world's rules? Have you been trying to use the tools of the world to achieve God's goals? Can I encourage you, be as wise as a serpent. Know about the world's rules, but be as innocent as a dove. Live in this upside down kingdom. And it may look like you're losing. It may look like you are not strong, but God says your reward is great. You're building an invisible kingdom. And there are results in this world. We see the kingdom of God continually growing. Through weakness, God displays his strength. And if you're not yet a believer, you say, this sounds interesting to me. I want to know more. Can I encourage you to go to the King Jesus? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you lived and died for me so that I could be forgiven. Please, would you forgive me now and put your spirit within me and make me brand new. And what happens is he'll open your eyes to see the things of the kingdom. It'll be a journey for the rest of your life. We'll be learning to live with these new rules and this new way of, of living but it is the best decision you could ever make. And when we break through the finishing tape at the end of our lives, you will run into glory in heaven and you will see from God's perspective how everything made sense and God was working it together for your good. Pray this prayer with me now. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. You lived and died for me. I thank you, Lord, for paying the price for my sins. Please forgive me for all my sins. I give my life to you now and I will serve you as king for the rest of my life. Amen. Let us know if you prayed that prayer. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.